Well, welcome uh, along to Beyond Church. If you missed it before or you snuck in late, uh, my name is Chris. I'm one of the pastors here and we are really excited to have you with us tonight. Uh, Tonight we're launching a brand new series. The way we do things here at Beyond is uh, usually we'll camp out on an idea or a topic or a question uh, for a number of weeks and over the number of weeks we'll we'll pull it apart. And so this is part one of a four-part series that we're doing called Love, Sex and Dating. And and we'd love it uh, if you would Stay with us tonight and come along for all four uh, parts of this message and then you can uh, have a little bit more of an idea of what we're going to talk about. But I thought it's kind of a controversial topic to talk about, the idea of love, sex and dating within a church, particularly if you haven't been to church or maybe in your church experience you don't talk about sex in church. Or, um, so I thought what I would do, just to ease everyone's tensions, I would, I would say what the, who the series is for and maybe who the series is not for. This series uh, is for you, whether you're uh, a follower of Jesus or whether you're not a follower of Jesus, or whether you fit yourself somewhere on the, on the spectrum in between. Uh, it's for you if you fit into the category there, if, if maybe you're single, uh, maybe you're dating, you're in the dating pool a little bit, maybe you've been dating someone for a while and you're thinking about maybe long term, you're looking to the future to get engaged, or maybe uh, you're engaged and you're preparing to be married, maybe you're, you're newlyweds, and this, this series would be for you. Uh, if you've been married, uh, some of you here have probably been married longer than I've been alive. This series is probably uh, not, as, not so much uh, for you. If, if you're here and you're married and, and you're a parent and you have uh, children uh, you know, in, in high school or primary school, this uh, is going to help you have that awkward 15-minute conversation. And we hope that instead of an awkward 15-minute conversation, it would help you uh, start a series of dialogues and a series of questions that you would uh, have a rolling conversation uh, with your teenagers and your youth throughout their uh, adolescence. This series is probably not for you if you would classify yourself as like a serial Tinder dater. If you're one of those people where the, the only commitment you're looking for is a swipe right, uh, this series is probably not for you. Uh, if, if your idea of dating at the moment is finding having a good time on a Saturday night and then by Sunday morning it's over, this series is not for you. But if you fall into that category... Uh, we would challenge you, come along for all four weeks because the reason why if you fall into this category you should come along for all four weeks is there may be a chance or a point in your life where you get to a a time where where you say, you know what, maybe I want to have a relationship that goes somewhere. Maybe I want to invest in someone long term and I want to commit uh, more to this. Maybe there's more to dating, maybe there's more to relationships, maybe there's more to sex than I originally thought. So stick it out because... When you get to that point in time, then you'll be able to refer back to this and go, oh, I've already got this here. It'll be up on our SoundCloud, on our Facebook forever. You can refer back to that uh, and, and you can uh, listen to that one. I probably really shouldn't start out by saying this, but I've actually got no qualifications to talk on this um, issue of love, sex and dating. Uh, I'm not a psychologist. I'm not a counsellor. I'm not a relationship uh, guru. Uh, the only, the only special skill I have in relationships is batting above my average. Uh, that works for me, but it, I can't like, give that gift to you, uh, unfortunately. Uh, so I thought rather than get up here and, and act like the guru, act like the guy that's got it all together and knows everything, I thought I wanted to ask you a question. I'm going to camp out on this question for the entire four weeks. We're going to look at it from different angles and we're going to try and understand it better. But this question uh, is a question that, that I was asked when, when I was uh, sort of 16, 17, maybe 18, somewhere in there. And it revolutionized, it changed the way that I approached dating. It changed the way that I thought about dating and, and it changed the way I conducted my relationships in the future. 
Uh, and so I'm going to ask you this question in a second, but before we do, there's two reasons why I think we don't ask this question. There's two reasons. I don't know uh, if you observe culture much, but it seems, for some reason, I don't know why, that we have been able to make incredible advancements in science, incredible inva- advancements in technology in the last couple of hundred years. We've built civilizations. This country, you know, is just over 100 years old. Yet for thousands of years, we still ask the same questions about relationships. You know, why won't he commit? How do I tell if she likes me? Where is this going? You know, can we define the relationship? Does my butt look big in this? You know, these, these questions have been around. We keep asking these questions. That the questions we ask now are the same questions that your parents ask, they're the same questions your grandparents ask, they're the same questions we've been asking for, for thousands of years as, as a society, as a human race. So why is it that we've been able to make all these advancements in all these other areas, but in the area of relationships, we somehow either don't learn or maybe we don't ask the right question? And there's two reasons. Two reasons, I think, that we probably don't ask this question and why we're still faced with the same questions we're always at. First reason is that we're not statistics. Okay, you and I, we're not statistics, we hear people who have degrees and doctorates and their relationship gurus and they get up and, and they spit facts. You know, if you cohabitate uh, for a prolonged period of time before you're married, the chances that you will be divorced increase. You know, the chances of divorce increase from marriage to marriage. If, if you've had one marriage and it hasn't gone well and then you get into another marriage, the chances for divorce increase in a second marriage and so on for the third and fourth. And we listen to these statistics, we hear these things going on and we say, oh, that doesn't apply to me though. I'm not a statistic. You, you don't know my situation. My situation's different from them. I know it might sound like their situation, but it's not. Mine is different. We're special. You can't lump us into this box of statistics. And I hate to break it to you. One of the things I observe in my role is that we're unique. Each of us are unique individuals. Just our circumstances are not. A lot of us do the same things in relationships because we're unique. Our circumstances are not. That's why statistics exist in the first place. And if, if you know the great chick flick, uh, he's just not that into you. If that movie has taught us anything about relationships, it's more often than not we are the rule, not the exception. We are the general statistic, not that. So that's one reason why you might have not asked this question in your life. Because we're not statistics. Oh, I'm, I'm not a statistic, we're different. The second reason that you might not have asked this question is, we learn the least from areas that matter most in our lives. We learn the least from areas that matter most in our life. For example, if you've ever been playing a card game or you've been playing a board game and you lose and you get out firsthand, the first question you go is, what do I do? How do I fix this? How do I change the approach to the game so that I don't lose every single time? Someone's got to give me some information. Someone's got to give me some knowledge because I can't keep on losing all the time. It's not fun. Yet for some reason, when we approach, say, the area of finance, we get into debt. And we can't figure out how to get ourselves out of debt. We're in this constant cycle of, I know I shouldn't, but I'm going to. I know I shouldn't, but I just need those shoes. I know I shouldn't, but oh my, I will look so great in that dress. And it's the same for us in relationships. We learn the least from areas that matter most in our life. If you look back across your past relationships, your dating relationships, and the reason they fall apart, there's usually some kind of common denominator, apart from you. There's usually some kind of common relationship trait that you have and and you look back and you think, it's going to be different this time. This time it's going to be different. I know I haven't done anything. I know I haven't changed anything about myself. But this time 
it is going to be different. And we fail to learn things in the areas of our lives that matter the most. So that's probably two reasons why you haven't asked this question and maybe why we as a culture maybe haven't progressed in the last couple of thousand years. But the question that we're going to ask, the question we're going to camp out on, and the question that I hope will change your thinking as it changed my thinking uh, was posed, I didn't come up with this, uh, someone far smarter than I did, uh, by a a brilliant communicator uh, in church circles, his name's Andy Stanley, uh, and he asked the question, are you the person that the person you're looking for is looking for? Are you the person that the person you're looking for is looking for? See, I don't believe that any of us go into relationships in our life with the express intent to burn them into the ground as fast as we can and explode them in flames. I don't think we do that. We just don't plan not to do that. I don't know if you've ever watched, um, there's a TV show on on MTV, and I wouldn't say I watch it, but I got caught in, um, like, it dragged me in. Like, it it was, it was one of those marathon shows, and it's, 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 called, it's a show called Are You The One? And, and uh, my, Emma and I, my wife and I, had the day off, and we were sitting there watching it together. And it's just such a bad show, and you go, okay, this episode is the last one. I promise it's the last one, it's the last one. And then the episode finishes, and the next one starts, you're like, oh, well, I kind of want to see how it ends. And the premise of this show is that um, 10 guys and 10 girls go into a house together. 10 guys, 10 girls go into a house together. And before they go into the house, they go through all this different testing with a psychologist and psychiatrist and counsellors. And they evaluate, you know, what's, you know, what's uh, happened in their past relationships, what they're, uh, what they're looking for in the future, the mistakes they've made. And so what they do is there are 10 guys and 10 girls. There's one perfect match in the house for each person, according to these uh, psychologists and psychiatrists. And so the aim of the show is you need to find your perfect match. And if everyone in the house finds their perfect match, then you win a million dollars. Simple as that, right? Super simple. And it's funny because the particular series that, or season that we were watching, it got right to the end of the show. It got right to the end. And that they, they managed to get their perfect match. Uh, they found it. You know, 10 beams of light came off. Oh, my goodness. And money, confetti came out. They, they won a million dollars. But it was really interesting to hear the response of the contestants afterwards. A lot of them, the vast majority said, yeah, I want a million dollars, but I'm not going to see this person again. I'm not actually going to spend time with this person. There's nothing going to happen outside of this house, even though apparently they're my perfect match. And it's because they'd seen the way that their perfect match had interacted in relationships in the house. They'd seen the way they'd handle conflicts. They'd seen the relationship they'd been in, that they'd been out of. And over time, all of a sudden... This person had not become the person that they were looking for. And it was dumped in their lap, but because of everything they'd seen, they answered this question. They said, actually, you're not the person that I'm looking for. And the reason I want to dive into this, we're going to unpack it during these next four weeks, is because there is a tendency among us to to project this image, project this idea of a person who we think would be perfect for us. A person who would meet our needs in the way that we need them to meet our needs. A person who would communicate in the way that we want to communicate. A person who deals with stress the way we need them to deal with stress. The only thing is, for the vast majority of us, if that person was to walk into our lives and walk through the door, we and you would not be the person that that person is looking for. Because we've never taken the time to unpack it and become the person that the person we're looking for is looking for. So... Because it's Valentine's Day, because it's the Love, Sex, Dating series, we're going to look at love tonight. 
And if you want to become the person that the person you're looking for is looking for, you're going to have to begin to think about love differently. Some of us, we hear this word thrown around, we hear this phrase thrown around, oh, I love chocolate, I love ice cream, I love sports cars, oh, I love this person so much, oh, no, not in that way, I don't love them in that way, I just love them like a friend, you know. And this word is so confusing. It's thrown around all the time, it becomes so confusing. And one of Jesus' disciples, one of his dirty dozen, a guy by the name of John, steps onto the pages of history and he writes a book uh, that doesn't have a very imaginative title, it's called John, uh, and he writes, John writes the book of John, uh, and this book, in this book, uh, John recounts the narrative or the story, whatever, what happened in the life of Jesus. And there's one particular event in the life of Jesus where, where, that John recounts where Jesus is gathered with his group of disciples and he's explaining to them this idea of love. So what we're going to do is we're going to explain, unpack this idea of love and then we're going to apply it specifically to a dating context. And so when Jesus is there with his, with his guy John, uh, and even if you don't particularly believe the Bible's inspired, that's okay. You can still gain something from listening to this conversation. So Jesus said to them, he goes, guys, what I need you to do is I need you to think about love differently. So I'm going to give you a new commandment. And the new commandment that I'm giving you is love one, uh, love each other. And if you're a Jewish, because this is in a Jewish culture, uh, Jesus, uh, Jesus was Jewish, Jesus' disciples were all Jewish, all these guys would have been like, what? Jesus, I don't know whether you know this, but we have 613 of these commandment things. Uh, one of them is love each other. And Jesus goes, no, no, no. I'm giving you a new commandment. And the new is not necessarily like a brand new sports car or something brand new that I made up or I came up with this incredible idea. What Jesus is saying to these guys is, hey, I've got a, I need you to rejig your thinking about what you think this commandment means. It's a new take on it. It's a new perspective from what you've always thought. You always thought that you knew what love is. You always thought you understood what it meant to love people. But I'm going to challenge you. You need to change your thinking. You need to change what you think it means to love people. And Jesus says, uh, whoops, there we go. Here we are. He goes, just as I have loved you, so you should love each other. I'm giving you a new commandment. Jesus is saying, just as I have loved you, so you should love each other. And the disciples at this point uh, are kind of starting to really freak out a little bit. Because just a couple, uh, a couple of chapters previously, John has told this story where Jesus, the, the, the rabbi, the teacher, the master, has gone around to all his disciples and he's washed their feet. He's taken the power that he had as the master and he's, he's thrown it aside and he has put himself, he has submitted himself to these guys and he has gone around the table and he has washed their feet. He's placed himself in the position of a servant to show these guys how much he loves them. And Jesus is saying to his disciples, you need to love people the same way I've loved you. And starting to kind of, you could see that it's tripping their thinking out. And there's this little Greek word that Jesus use, uses for love. And for a lot of us, for a lot of us um, we think love is a noun. It's a naming word. We just slap it on something. That's love. And Jesus kind of knew what his disciples would think. And he probably understood in just the way in which humans think and the way that we sometimes think about love. Love is a name that we slap on something. And Jesus uses here, he uses a verb for the love. And this love is agapo. And this agapo kind of love is a love that sacrifices itself for another person. A love that says, what, what, what do I need to do? What, what, is, what is required of me to love this person? What is required of me to show love to these people. 
And it's a love, Jesus puts it in, in the phrase of a verb, of a doing word, because it's a love that's best expressed in action. This kind of love, this way of thinking about love, is not, not just love that you can call something, it's a love that actually causes you to do something. It requires something of you. And so Jesus is saying to his disciples, and he's saying to us, if you want to love the way I love, this new thinking of love, it's not a name, it's going to require something of you. And half of you, probably the church, half of you are probably thinking, oh, that's so cool, that's, I didn't know that, maybe, maybe you did know that, but that's interesting, awesome. And half of you, maybe the half that maybe haven't gone to church, you've been hanging out, you go, okay, great, so when's the dating advice coming in? And here we go, this is the application of this dating advice, because Jesus gives a very general understanding of love there, right? This kind of outlines it. And there was a, um, a guy in history, he actually steps onto the pages of history as a Christian killer, and his name is Saul. And he goes around uh, and he kills Christians for a living. But one day, within the space of a 24-hour period of time, uh, Paul uh, has uh, an encounter with Jesus and he becomes, uh, changes from a killer of Christians and he changes his name from Saul to Paul and he becomes the greatest church planner, speaker, writer, teacher that the church has ever seen apart from Jesus. And so Paul uh, goes and he plants all these churches around the Mediterranean rim. And he plants all these churches, and he plants a church, and he gets up, and then he leaves. But he corresponds with the churches that he's planted. He writes some letters. And so he writes a lot of letters to these churches. And these letters would have probably been passed from church to church. Uh, but we, we have the, this letter that we now call Ephesians. Uh, and Paul wrote it to the church in Ephesus. And he's addressing a specific issue of love. And particularly what this agapo love looks like when it's lived out in relationships. And Paul goes through and he gives a, a couple of, of different relationships. He talks about a husband and a wife. He talks about uh, uh, parents and children. He talks about slaves and masters because they were a culture that uh, had slaves. In fact, if you're not a Christian, you should go and read uh, how Paul tells the Christians to look after their slaves because it's completely countercultural to anything else any other culture was doing. But he has this piece in there where he talks about how husbands and wives are supposed to interact and live out this agapo love with each other. And we're going to look at it tonight. I'm going to let you know, there's a word in there you're not going to like. Straight off the bat, uh, if you don't really consider yourself a church person, you're going to buck up against this word. You go, oh, no, I'm not. Even if you are a Christian, you're probably going to hear something. Oh, I don't want to have anything to do with that. And we're going to look at, it's, it's a verse that's often taken out of context. I'm going to give you the full context. I'm going to look at, specifically in a dating relationship or in any kind of love relationship, what would this agapo love look like? And Paul starts off, he goes, He's starting this this new passage in this paragraph in Ephesians 5. And further, submit, there's that word, you're not going to like it, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submit yourself to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, I'm going to need to clarify what Paul's talking about here when he says submit, because it's going to come up a couple of other times in this passage. Oftentimes in our culture, when we think of this term submit, it's submit yourself to one another. Often the person in our mind, this one another person that we're submitting ourselves to, isn't worthy of our submission. We don't feel that we should submit ourselves because they're not worthy of our submission. Paul, starting off, he says, submit to one another the same way that Christ submitted to humankind. The same way that Christ leveraged his life to show love. The same way that the creator of the universe hung and died on a cross to leverage his life to pay for the debt of of humanity's sins. That's the kind of 
that's the reason that you submit. Not because the other person is worthy of submission, but because you're submitting out of reverence, out of respect for Christ. And if you do this in the context of a Christian relationship, where you're living out this agapo verb, then it should be mutual submission. It's not one person over the top, it's both of you submitting to Christ, out of reverence for Christ. And then it goes on. It says, well, let's, Paul goes, now that I've got this brief overview of what this submission looks like in all areas of our life, now I'm going to break it down to some, spe- some, to some specific relationships. There we go. And the first one he picks is uh, husbands and wives. And so he says this, for wives, this means to submit to your husbands as to the Lord. So what he's saying here for, for females, he goes, you don't have to submit to your husband because he's a good guy. You submit because of the relationship because of what Jesus has done initially. It's this whole part of mutual submission. And we're going to go on and we're going to explain that Paul doesn't spend a lot of time addressing wives on this issue. Paul spends three verses talking about, ladies, this is how you submit to your husbands. Because obviously men were thick back then and like we are a little bit now. He spends nine verses telling the guys how to do it. Three for the women, nine for the guys. And so Paul's saying, you know, ladies... Submit to your husband out of the same reverence that you would submit to Christ. The same dedication you show to your relationship with Jesus. That's, that's the same dedication you should be showing to your husband if, or if you're in a dating relationship. And he goes, fellas, here we go. You're going to have to listen up. I'm going to have to explain it twice as long or three times as long for you guys. I want to make sure you don't miss it. He says, for, husband, for a husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. Now, Paul knew that, we would, that guys would look at that and go, I am the head. And they need to submit to me. So Paul straight away clarifies. He goes, no, no, no I, I know what you're thinking. I know you're going to miss the point. So here we need to, we need to go in. And so he goes, uh, he goes, for husbands, what this means is, notice it there, he's got to clarify. Guys, what this means is, uh, just as Christ loved the church, so you need to love your wife just as Christ loved the church. And all the guys in Ephesus are probably going to be, hey, what? We have to love our wives the same way that Christ loved the church? But Christ gave up his life for the church. Paul's like, yeah, that's the point. And it goes on, Paul goes, he gave up his life to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. And Paul's saying, in the context of this uh, Christian relationship, in the context, if you're a follower of Jesus and you're in this relationship, husbands, you need to leverage love. You need to leverage what Christ did on the cross and that should be the way that you should approach your relationship with your wife. And ladies, that's the same way. You should approach that relationship the same way, leveraging love. And so we don't get one person powering over the other, but we get mutual submission underneath this God-man who laid down his life for us. And the reason, I think, apart from the fact we don't, we don't like this word submit in our culture, apart from the fact that we, we have trouble picturing what this kind of relationship would look like, The reason that we don't like this word submit and the reason we buck up against it and the reason that it challenges us is because it means if we're going to live this way, it's going to require something of us. It means that you and I are going to have to make some decisions that we wouldn't normally make if it was just up to us. There are going to be some times where our feelings and we're thinking and we're like, oh, I really don't want to do that. But we're going to have to because that's what love requires of us. And I understand if you're sitting there, if you're thinking, you know what? I kind of get what you're saying. I can appreciate what you're trying to do, but, but you don't know where I've been. 
You don't know the relationships that I've seen modeled to me. You don't know the hurt I've experienced. You don't understand the reasons why I'm guarded. You don't understand the reasons that I don't, I don't submit to anything. You, know the reason that, you don't know the reasons that I never ask the question, what does love require of me? And the chances are, I would, I would say probably very strong, that if I was in your shoes, if I was in the exact same position, if I would experienced the exact same things that you'd experience, I would be saying the same thing. I was saying, Chris, that's idealistic. You know, that's a nice understanding. That's written in an old book. You know, there's, there's no way that is going to work today. I want to challenge you. If you, if, you don't believe, if you believe this is too idealistic, if you believe this is kind of pie in the sky, what are your other options? What are your other options if this is not possible? To go into every relationship guarded? To go into every relationship and say, you know what, I'll love as long as you love me. I'll give you what I get given. To go into every other relationship continually carrying the baggage from the past relationship and letting that affect your future ones. Because chances are, I don't know all of you, I don't know all your stories, but chances are, even if you, you kind of say, oh, I don't know if that can happen, you hope it could. Deep down, you hope maybe one day I could meet a person and I could experience that kind of relationship. I could experience a relationship where I would want to ask the question, what does love require of me? I could experience a relationship where someone actually asked that of me, where I'm not having a good day. Instead of them flying off the handle, they ask the question, what does love require of me in this situation? And reacts differently. Because in this kind of love, there's no winning and losing. You're in it together. The, rela- the, the winning and losing, it's not on the individual, it's on the relationship. You want what's best for the relationship. And so we have this thing here at Beyond, it's called For Monday, because whether you're a Christian or you're not a Christian or uh, wherever you sit, we believe that if you want to come to church or if you take the time to come out of your church, it should help you in some way for Monday. It should change your life in some way for the way that you're going to approach the rest of your week. And we're going to invite the band um, back up here. But I want to ask you this question. And if you're a follower of Jesus, you have, you have no option but to begin to ask this question this week and begin to, to, to live it out in your lives. If you're not a follower of Jesus, then I'm, I'm not going to ask you to, um, to do anything about this question. I just, I just want you to ask the question, you know, when you're in your relationship or, or when you're single preparing for the person that the person you're looking for is looking for. I want you to ask this question and think about what would happen if you actually acted on what love required of you. And so the question is, what does love require of me? What does love require of me? Now, if you're in a relationship right now, that's going to look very different to someone who's single. Um, this question has been bugging me for weeks. I wrote this message like four or five weeks ago, and this is now the screensaver of my phone. And, and I'm going to tell you straight off the bat, it's frustrating to answer. Because regardless of how you feel and regardless of what you're thinking, you ask this question, what does love require of me? And chances are it's not what you want to do. So this week, if you're in a dating relationship of any form, ask this question. In the situation, given the circumstances, what does love require of me? Because it's really easy to ask this question after you've had 12 hours of sleep, once you got up, had a cup of coffee, everything's going great. But it's really hard to ask this question when you've come home from a long day, and when you've had a, your bosses all over your back and you walk in the door and dinner's not cooked and he said, she said, it's really hard, it's really difficult to ask this question, but that's when it needs to be asked the most. Because like we said right at the start, none of us prepare 
to fail in relationships. We just don't prepare not to. And this can be a way that you can prepare not to fail by asking this question. If you're single right now, this is a fantastic opportunity for you to begin to prepare for a relationship with the person that you're looking for. By asking this question, what does love require of me? Think about the past relationships you've been in. What are some of the reasons that maybe they haven't worked and some reasons that they have worked? You know, is there an addiction that you hold on to? Is there, is there a character flaw that you have? Maybe you take criticism harshly. Maybe you don't know how, uh, maybe at the moment you are just horrendous at budgeting. And you know that there is no way that you can get into a relationship and, and try and set it up for marriage if you don't know how to handle your finances. Maybe for you, uh, you just don't know how to seek attention from one person. You've got, the, you've got the Facebook messenger going. You've got Tinder on the side. You know, you're trying to talk to as many guys or as many girls as you can talk to to have them validate and make you feel wanted. Maybe for you, what love requires of you is for you to shut the phone off, shut the messenger off, and begin to explore what meaning would look like without constantly being in a relationship or without constantly needing someone else to validate So this week, we're going to ask you to ask that question. What does love require of me? Because I guarantee that if you ask that question, if you begin to ask that question in your life, and not straight away, but sooner or later, you'll be able, you'll start to become the person that the person you're looking for is looking for. Could you imagine three years from now, what would happen if you asked the question tonight and you made a decision to constantly keep asking this question in your current relationship or in your future relationship, how much different it would be? If you've had past relationships, could you imagine what would have happened in this situation if you'd asked that question, what does love require of me? So this week, that's it. Ask the question, what does love require of me? And set yourself up for success in your future relationships and we'll help that you join us uh, for part two of Love, Sex and Dating next week. We're going to pray right now. Father, we just thank you for this opportunity to come together. Some of us, we're all at different junctures in our lives. We've all at different periods of time along the journey. Some of us have had really good experiences with relationships. Some of us have been jaded. Some of us don't know if we want to even ask this question but Lord we need to ask this question because deep down we hope to be loved and to love in the same way that Jesus talks about and in the same way that Paul talks about so Father we want to pray for people right now who are who are going through tough times and maybe need to begin to start to ask this question we pray for their journey ahead we pray for the obstacles that they'll come up against and there's going to be some really tough questions there's going to be some really hard responses when you ask this question but Father we pray that you would strengthen them and that you would bless them Lord and that you would journey with people who are bold enough to ask this question what does love require of me because we know that when Jesus was hanging on that cross dying for our sins he probably didn't feel like doing it but Jesus asked the question what does love require of me his answer was I need to leverage my life for humanity so Father may we be people that leverage our love out of reverence for Christ. May we be people who answer the question, what does love require of me? We pray these things in your son's name. Amen.